you again hope you're all staying warm out there on what is turning into a very blustery and cold winter weekend here in the northeast my name is paul boyer this is philly's therapy in case you forgot we are checking back in with you for the first time since oh early january give or take because again not a whole lot has happened with this team uh since the calendar flipped to 2023 the roster has been almost set in stone for most of the offseason it continues to be kind of weird for folks in the content creation space, like ourselves. My name is Paul Boyer. Again, I don't know if I mentioned that. I'm a little rusty. It's been a minute. Hope you've all been well. The Phillies have sent the truck of equipment down to spring training. The time is almost upon us here in February, early February. And it's exciting. I mean, of course, I know a lot of folks are still focused on the Eagles. For good reason. Go birds. Uh, but baseball is... Very, very close. And joining me as always, the Athletics, Matt Gelb, who will be heading down to Florida in just a couple of short weeks. Matt, uh, we're kind of in a weird spot here because there are reasons to be excited about this baseball team. But it's been at that level now for, well, I don't know, about two months without a lot of change. I, I, I think things are are ramping up a little bit, but we really haven't had a whole lot of room to to keep that that graph of excitement going up lately. Uh, but still, you you put out a, a survey a few weeks ago, asked folks to fill it out on the athletic, just gauging how people are feeling about certain things heading into the 2023 season. This fan survey, and boy, do we get some interesting responses, huh? Yeah, I mean, what I would advise is for the next I don't know seven weeks. Um, instead of watching or paying attention to spring training is just like, go back and rewatch, you know, like all the games from the postseason. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, it's going to be, it, it's going to be a weird spring. Like, I don't know because, uh, the roster is set. Like certainly Andrew Painter is a really interesting thing this spring, but, um, there is a lot of excitement. I think it's just like, everyone wants to like press fast forward and get to, you know, the regular season. <laughs> so, right. Um, And and, and I think that's captured in like the survey. I mean, I I was blown away by uh, the amount of responses, the depth of the responses, like going through each one. Like, you know, I asked at the end, you know, for for kind of an open ending question, like, what is the one thing you'll remember from the 2022 Phillies? And the answers were were so varied and and some of them were really heartfelt. Some of them were silly. Um, It was perfect. It was a great sampling of, I think, of, of Phillies fans and. Um, I will say the one answer that blew me away and, and, and also blew Jason Stark away. Cause he texted me right after the survey was published, uh, was the question at the very end was, will the Phillies return to the world series in the next two seasons? And, and, and it's hard to get to the world series. We saw it. I mean, like it might seem like it's easy cause the Phillies just got there, you know, yeah. so unexpectedly, but you know, 75.5% of people, <laughs> said that, yes, they will return to the World Series in the next two seasons. And <laughs> Jason thought, as I did, that this was, I mean, like, this is incredible amounts of optimism in a fan base that, oh, yeah. um, you know, is rarely optimistic. And it's great to see. <laughs> like, I think it's, yeah. it's, it's wonderful. Uh, Jason said, uh, 
before 2008, they'd been in three in the previous 57 years. <laughs> it's like, do people remember this? And uh, it's okay if they don't. That's all right. But uh, a lot of optimism. It reminds me of that of the tweet. Um, and I'm, I'm, I don't remember. I don't know if I know her last name. Cole, historian Cole. She's on Twitter where she says, uh, you know, it, probably I think one of the greatest tweets, you know, maybe that's ever been sent, but it's a Philly has, Philadelphia has two speeds, cocky and distraught, yeah. right? And uh, I feel like, we're fully in the uh, the cocky territory right now. Yeah, that's that's Cole Altman, by the way. She's uh, uh, fantastic. Um, look, I, I'm right there with you in being amazed at how many of these responses, especially compared with the 2022 uh, results, which shared some questions with the, the 23 survey. Um yeah, and it should <laughs> note the- that the twenty and as I noted, the twenty twenty two survey was it was conducted about the same time. Yeah, it was late January, but if you'll recall, like late January a year ago, I mean, it was like it was a lockout. Like the Phillies had yet to sign Schwarber and Castellanos. That's like right. th- there was so much, you know, that was so much more was settled right now at this point in the off season than it was um, a year ago. Nevertheless, like you know, you could expect some, you know, some big time changes, and and uh, that's understandable. Oh, sure. I mean, just think about that. That's one calendar year and all of the things that have happened in that one calendar year. Insane. I mean, a calendar year ago, the Phillies had never exceeded the luxury tax threshold. And now we're blowing by it. And I think I think part of that feeds into the huge change in the very first question, which, you know, we can start with that right off the top. And how confident are you that the Phillies are headed in the right direction? So last year, again, marking the time, they had still yet to make a couple of major moves generally the feeling was pretty pessimistic because we'd all been, you know, party to this labor war that had been going on. But almost half of the people surveyed last year just said they were unsure just for just for that kind of footing with an additional almost third saying not very confident. So we were looking at about 80% of people who were either unsure or just not really feeling it. Flip that to this year. And after all that's happened, we have about 97% of the people who answered your survey, by the way, about a thousand more responses came in for this year's survey, which in and of itself is an indicator of the uptick in interest. You had around like 2,500 responses, I think it was, yep. compared to 1,500 last year. And now we're looking at 55% saying they're very confident and another 42 saying at least somewhat confident. The 97% compared to the almost 80 or roughly 80, more than 80, from 2022, it is head spinning to take a step back and think about everything that happened again this was an 87 win team that is going into the season without its best hitter for the first half of the season and with all the moves they've made and the way the team played out and and just really the vibes in general it instilled this confidence that you're you're right is weird to have (laughs) going into a season how often do you see a Phillies fan base, and certainly at least not in the last you know decade, be this? Twenty eleven, sure. I mean, yeah, it you know, I remember. Be I mean, the spring of twenty eleven, right, was like a celebration almost. Like that whole spring was a celebration of like the roster that they had built, mm. and it was an incredible roster, and it was an incredible team that obviously fell short. But I mean, I remember the vibes of that that spring going into that spring being like. This is a freaking good team and we're, you know, and, and they're going to, you know, our, our goal is to show 
everybody how good it is and and they were yeah. quite good um probably more questions with this roster right than in 2011 i don't know i mean like that yeah because that was you know that was a more prolonged you know at the tail end of a, what was a very prolonged run of success and this is sort mm-hmm. of entering what they hope is a, a prolonged run of success but paul i want to ask you like sure I, I think i know how you answered this question but i mean why are you confident that the so you answered Probably what? Yeah, they are. I'm sure you're confident that the Phillies are headed in the right direction. But I'll ask you, like, why are you confident that the Phillies are headed in the right direction, and and, and not just because of obviously what they did in the postseason last year? Yeah. So I I don't think I answered any of the extremes, like at, at either end of uh, the range of outcomes for any of these questions. I don't think I I answered significantly or very confident or or anything like that for any of them and we'll we'll talk more about the questions a little bit later but uh, i did answer somewhat confident for heading in the right direction and mildly more confident compared to this time last year there are things to love about this team and i am very happy with the postseason run obviously and and the way this concept of a team proved to be effective they lasted long enough to make the playoffs and then were top heavy enough to just have their stars absolutely blast through yeah. you know, the big moments and, and like it worked proof of concept. There you go. And baseball more and more is kind of turning into this, this two types of seasons thing where you need to have a team that's deep enough to get you through 162 games, but still be star laden enough to come right. through. It's not, it's not as if it's not as if the formula they used last year was, you know, so wildly unsustainable. It wasn't, I mean, like it's clearly right. like this is a, this is a way to win, you know, whether they do it again, it, you know, remains to be seen clearly, but it's not as if it was a total just stab in the dark, you know, throwing a bullseye. Um, no, I mean like, right. This is a formula. This is a, a winning formula. Absolutely. And, and I think they're sticking to it. You know, you can look at, you can look at this being year two of this run. You know, we were just talking about 2011, right. And that was probably year four or five More than at that. that point of that, that yeah. core, that group, that group with a, a couple of supplements. We're looking at year two, basically, of, of this main core here. I know that Harper, Real Muto, Hoskins, Nola even have been around a little bit longer than that. But I think when you add players like Schwarber and Castellanos, who are so significant in their role and the expectations of what they can add, I personally reset that that clock a little bit. All right? yeah. I look at this as no, now that's year fair. two. Yeah. Um, and I think, okay, yeah, th- I'm also looking for reasons, you know, why I might not want to be so confident about this team. I I come back to Harper missing most of the year, and I think that's that's going to play out. Even though adding Trey Turner is fantastic, don't get me wrong there. Taiwan Walker, nice pitcher. I think the fact that they do look a little bit thin on depth, and knowing the way this sport chews through pitchers lately, that that depth might be a little bit exposed. Also coming off of the longer season, you know, how are Wheeler and Nola going to respond? I'm a little uncertain about that. I think they're going to be good. Do I think they're going to be significantly better than 87 wins? Not right now. I think there's a chance that they could crack 90. Is that significantly better? Not to me. But I do feel good about the way things are being built right now. I love that they're being aggressive still in the moves that they're making. And I do like, even though it's going to make for a boring spring, I do like that so much of the roster has been in place now for so long. I mean, that's got to be comforting to the players and coaches, too, that especially contrasted with 2022, since we're talking about that, that so much about what this team is going to look like is known. You know, you could say upward of 20, 
23, 24 spots on the 26 man barring injury or. Yeah. At least 23. Yeah. Yeah. At least that's wild. I think, I think I actually think that they're going into the spring with better pitching depth than they've had. uh, You think so? Since I can remember. Hmm. Yes, I do. I think they've like had a sneaky, I think the sneaky wins of the off season have been like their little incremental 40 man bullpen maneuvers. Like, I think they've added some guys that are like really solid up down guys. And by up down guy, I mean like a guy who, who if there's an injury and you need a guy for 10 days or 15 yeah. days or whatever from triple a, yeah. you can bring a guy and this guy, you can s- slide him right in. Like, I think they've got a couple interesting arms there and especially with the bullpen. Uh, I think there's there's better bullpen depth than they've had um, in a in a while. Like I really okay. do. I mean, there's going to be guys sure. who start the year in AAA who who probably could be in a, a big league bullpen for a lot mm. of teams. And they have a couple younger guys who I'm I'm interested to see this spring. Like Andrew Baker is a guy um, that that I'm I'm really interested to see. You know what what does it look like against big league hitters uh, in great for league games? Uh, and then starting wise, yeah, I think there are some there's some fair questions, but I mean it. it It'll obviously, you know, Painter will be the, the big one. And, um, you know, I, I think Bailey Falter is like a really capable fifth starter. And like, he might not even be the fifth starter. I mean, he might be the sixth starter. I mean, and um, they have some depth there. Like, even a guy like, and I know it's, it's you know, like Plasmeyer, you know, is mm-hmm. not a guy that you want to be starting every fifth day for two months. But if you need him for two weeks or, you know, two turns of rotation or whatever, like, I think he's capable. Like, I, I really do. Um, I, I think they've built some some solid pitching depth. I really, I think they go into this year with better pitching depth. I think where they're not deep is on the position player side. Well, a, a lot of that is reflected, I think, in the fan response to the question about confidence in Dave Dombrowski, in particular, in leading the baseball operations group and actually identifying these players and acquiring these players you know, 99.7% of people were, you know, some level of confident. There were 3% of people who said unsure, which, okay. And then three percentage points of people who said they were not confident in some level. They're probably people who are just, you know, <laughs> trolling your survey. Because what reason is this guy giving you to not feel confident now about what's going on? In his first really full season on the job, what did he do? He built a team that got to the World Series. So, like, you know, <laughs> that, that earns some confidence, I think. Yeah. Um, and that all plays out. That That's fine. Next, we have, of course, managerial. The, the guy who's actually going to be putting these pieces in play. You know, you build a roster and then you need somebody to actually put it together, ideally without the front office dictating lineups and pitching usage like some other clubs do. Um, we no longer have Joe Girardi manning the helm like we have in the 2022 survey. Uh, Rob Thompson's back and he's gonna, he's gonna see if he can replicate that magic from last year. And two thirds of people are very confident in him. Another third of people somewhat confident. And then again, some random people who say they're not confident in Rob Thompson. Like who are nobody you? pulled no, better than no Rob way. Thompson. Well, and for good reason, like yeah, this yeah. is a guy, you know, who has immediately, immediately climbed the ranks into being one of the most popular sports related figures in this city. And, you know, prior to the middle of the summer, there may not have been a lot of people. Well, there are certainly more people now who know who he is than could have picked him out knowing he was, you know, the bench coach 
you might have no, name might have rung a bell at that point, but now all of a sudden, this is a guy who's top tier, you know, <laughs> a World Series run will do that to you. Uh, it's nice to see so much faith in management and leadership. I think what has been missing from fan sentiment uh, during the drought years was a feeling of direction. You know, we, we had, we had the teardown in the middle of the 2010s. And at that point you're thinking, well, this kind of stinks. Now we're in for a couple of years of trying to piece something back together. The major league team isn't going to be good for a little bit. Can settle in for some of that as long as the moves they make around the edge make some sense, right? Get some, get some draft picks to feel excited about within a year or two, maybe feel like you make a, a, a savvy trade closer to the end of the window. And maybe that was supposed to be what, you know, Jake Arrieta, Carlos Santana signings and all of that were supposed to signify, you know, Hoskins emerges, feels like a, a, a player development win. And then it just sort of sputters until Harper comes around. And even for a year or two after that, it just felt like the mission was like, what, what was the goal? Really? There were a couple of draft picks that missed uh, other things around the edges that just didn't quite pan out. And now all of a sudden, we see a roster that's built that has stars, that has role players, that has cult hero guys, that seems like it is a fully formed and realized vision of what the bones of this team were meant to eventually look like when they got dressed up. You know, it seems like there's actually something to really believe in with this team, not just for, again, this year as a follow-up to a World Series appearance, but for a couple of years moving forward. Now, there are a couple other moves we can think about, like maybe a NOLA extension and all of that that would have to come into play. But at the very least, given the aggressive moves in landing stars and, and, and premium players year after year at this point, we're going on like four or five years of significant additions one way or another to this team. It's become kind of the expectation. It's hard not to look at what leadership and management is doing and, and, and the way Rob Thompson was aggressive in the postseason using his players, how it mostly worked out, you know, 90% of the time, uh, give or take. It's hard not to buy into that as a fan. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and I think, you know, it's reflective. Um, the biggest gains, some of the biggest gains in the survey were found in the perception of ownership. And... Again, a lot of that is because of the timing of it. They hadn't, you know, gone over the luxury tax barrier when the survey was last completed. And now I think, honestly, like they're going to be really, they're going to be really close. I mean, I think they're going to get into the second tier Wild. Uh, this year. Like, I think they'll get over the second tier um, for the for the luxury tax. And some of that is trying to keep up with, you know, what the Mets and, and even the Braves are doing. And the Braves don't have as high of a payroll as the Phillies or the Mets, but the Braves are like top five or six, I think in the sport in, in, in payroll, they will be. So mm -hmm. that's three teams in the top, like five or six in payroll all in the same division, which is kind of crazy. Uh, but yeah, I, I think there, there, there clearly there, there's a, there's better communication. There's more leadership. There's a stronger leadership at the top of the organization. And, you know, I do wonder you know, what the long-term vision is and like, you know, I know there is one and I've written about it and I wonder how, uh, how successful that'll be, but you know, they've invested a lot, uh, into their player development and into their 
uh, R&D department into their uh, amateur scouting. Like th- there's been a, quite a few investments behind the scenes that aren't reflected in pay- player payroll. Mm. Uh, and, and, and I know that most people are not evaluating ownership based upon those behind the scenes investments, but there have been, there's been quite a bit. I, I think their investments behind the scenes have been significant uh, in the last 18 months or so. So, yeah, I mean, you have to like what you see in the short term. They've made some uh, investments in longer term. They have to see some dividends, I think, from those investments sooner rather than later. And, you know, they obviously have, you know, really strong pitching prospects at the top of their farm system. The rest is, eh. <laughs> you know, some definitely some concerns about, uh, you know, the hitting development. They've made a lot of changes there. I've written about this offseason. And um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they 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 clearly have an, a window here, and it, it's a strong mix of you know stars in their prime, uh, younger, complementary types, you know, mm-hmm. with pitchers coming. Uh, it, it's a it's a formula again that that can be sustainable, I think. And if you are looking for a reason to maybe tamp things down a little bit and, and, and ground yourself a little bit and be like, okay, this might actually hold the team back or be a reason why they get off to a slow start, which is entirely possible. Um, when polled about the team's biggest weakness, a third of people came back and said the defense, which again, didn't really improve. You know, Trey Turner is a nice player, but you they're miss. better up the middle. They are. They're, they, well, they're, yeah, they're definitely better up the middle. Like Stott is way better at second than short. Exactly. Exactly. You know, Marsh, a full year of Marsh in center is, um, you know, the best center field defense they'll have over a full season. Uh, I don't I don't even know since when. It, it might be Maybe the best. Ben Revere, I guess. Yeah. I, I guess. Ben Revere had one of the worst throwing arms I've ever seen in center yeah, field. So I did. don't know. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's true. That plays in a defense. He had good range. Yeah, I mean. He had yeah. great range. His uh, reads weren't great. Yeah, maybe he's not the answer. Obviously. You know, a full year of Martian center, you know, is is defensively is, is as good as they've had in, in a while. They're better up the middle. They are. The they corners, are. yeah, the corners are a problem. Corners are a concern. Uh, up the middle should hopefully allay some of those concerns. And then we talk about the bench and rotation depth. Again, it's hard because for me, I, I look at the loss of, of Zach Eflin, and yes, he's been replaced by Taiwan Walker, uh, and to a lesser extent, Kyle Gibson, and then look at the options on the 40-man who are, who are near, and I'm, I, I am not convinced I, I am not as optimistic, I think, as you, as you might be about the the upper level depth for the arms and the rotation. I think that's where a lot of my concern lies right now. I don't really care so much about the defense because I like dingers, and I think they're <laughs> I think they're going <laughs> to slug their way past the defense again, um, or at least I have the hope. I look at I look at the rotation and and I I think about you know it's nice that that Ranger uh, Ranger Suarez. For those of you who don't know who Ranger is when I refer to him by his first name, uh, his emergence as a number three is, is very nice. Tywin Walker is a nice and capable pitcher. But then you get into that five and, you know, you cycle through Falter and how many innings is Painter going to pitch and how good will he be again as a 19 and 20 year old rookie? Um, is this James MacArthur guy ever going to make his debut? What are we doing? Chris Sanchez. I keep going back and forth there. We think reliever probably, but who knows? Uh, I think if there's a if there's a significant ding to one of the 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 top four starting pitchers, that things could get a little dicey for a bit. I think that's where my that. main concern lies. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I mean, it's it's yeah, 
you know, as as every team is, you go into the season and you're looking at, you know, if everything is like if, you know, if they stay healthy and yeah, if they don't stay healthy at the top of the rotation, then, yeah, there's there's a drop off. But I I think we're probably, in my opinion, we're probably underselling like how much of a difference painter might make. And I not hmm. trying to I'm not trying to fuel like the the hype machine. Uh I I think and, and I also think you're underselling a little bit like, you know, how steady of a starter I think Bailey Falter as as like a fill in starter that Bailey Falter can be. And again, he's yeah, not going to I don't think he's um you know, he he's not if you if you if he's replacing Nola or Wheeler, you know, for an extended period because of an injury, he's not going to perform at those at that level, but I think he's, um, I think he's a solid stopgap. I do mm. even, I think he'd be, even be a solid fifth star. I think he'd be fine taking the ball every fifth day. He's the perfect, he's the kind of guy who you were happy to hand it to every fifth day in the regular season, but you do not want starting a postseason game. You know, and, and that's a good point. There is something to be said for the value. And I'm not talking about in war terms or contract value or anything like that. Just, just the pure value to a team to to a club of somebody who is a capable major league player i'm not talking about a star i'm not talking about somebody on the nola or wheeler level i'm not talking about somebody on the bryce harper level or you know the jt level just somebody who can hang at the major league level there's a lot of focus i think in other sports about players who who you know perform at or above the expected level being the only acceptable option, whatever position you're talking about. It's, it's more prevalent when we're talking about, you know, smaller roster sports like basketball or hockey maybe comes into play a little bit less with football, but you lean on your, your starters more in that sport and think a little bit less about uh, having really good depth guys, like, you know, the third stringers on the depth chart. But when it comes to baseball with all the different positions that, you know, you need to fill, you need to have the ability to cover all of this, to cover innings on the mound. There is a, a unique way that you need to build a, a major league baseball team. I'm not saying better or worse or tougher or awarding any extra points. There's just a unique way you need to think about building a baseball team. A lot of things you have to cover. And if you have players who just meet the baseline, so to speak, that's that's fine. I think that is more acceptable, should be more acceptable with a baseball team because there are simply so many cases where guys just do not even reach that level that it needs to be celebrated. I mean, this is way. why they were good last year. Yeah. This is why they survived two months without Bryce mm-hmm. in the middle of the season last year. They had, a, 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 whether they were at or slightly above replacement level, they had guys who could step in and meet that bar. Yeah. You know, and I think this is why I I was always so fond of someone like Cesar Hernandez when he was around because Cesar Hernandez was was never a star. He, he had a couple of flashes of being really good that were even in retrospect, kind of surprising, but this was a guy who was just a steady major leaguer. He was fine. He was average to above average in many aspects of his game. Not all, but many aspects of his game. And I don't know if he ever really got regarded as such. I, I think he caused more frustration than he did <laughs> than he did anything else. But that kind of player, I think, and we can look at that on the pitching side now with a Bailey Falter type, maybe, 
that type of player is important and not something that should just be cast off because they're not so good that they could potentially make an all-star do you know what i mean here i i no 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 no. i mean you you, this is it's it's become harder and harder to develop not just an everyday big league player or or a big league contributor but i mean you can go go ask anyone in the sport right now what they're really worried about and it it is that the, the talent the talent bar in the minor leagues right now is 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 low it's lower mm. um whether it's because of the pandemic whether it's because of changes to how players are developed uh you know less players in the minor leagues um uh, you know fewer rounds in the draft you know losing more athletes to different sports whatever it is there is um the talent right now in the minor leagues as a whole is uh is not as good as it as it was before and getting big league contributors is harder and harder and harder and, and, and yeah they shouldn't be treated lightly it's very hard it's very hard to make the big leagues and stick and and be you know a contributor it's harder i think maybe than it's ever been along those lines one of the one of those greater successes is of course aaron nola who my guy the guy I wanted to see have that that quote unquote bounce back year coming back from 2021, which was now proven to be a little bit deceptively worse than it actually was, uh, came back and was fantastic uh, in 2022. It was a, a year that in some respects may have been better than his top three Cy Young year in 2018. May have been, if you squint. Uh, either way, it was really good. But and this is getting back to your survey, one of the really pressing things that this team has to face now, and there are not many of those pressing issues, but this is a pressing issue. Aaron Nola is on a, uh, an option for this year, which has been exercised, obviously, but that means he is now a pending free agent. That's a big deal. Aaron Nola is one of the very best starting pitchers in this sport. One of the very best. I, I, You can move that bar to whatever level you feel comfortable, but it probably should not go below 25 if that, even if you're ridiculous, this is, a, this is a really good starting pitcher and something of a unicorn in how durable he's been and how many innings he's been able to log. You know, nobody throws more innings than this guy, but he's unsigned after this year. He's 30 years old. Uh, there's a question about what the Phillies should do with Aaron Nola. And a lot of people are very convinced that they know what they want to do. They know what they want to see happen. And that is get him signed now. Or before he reaches free agency, by some point. This was maybe one of the more stunning results for me of the survey. Eighty-two percent. Yeah, not because I mean I agree with you in, in terms of Nola's caliber in the sport, but I'm not. You know, Nola I don't think has ever. He's not typically polled, you know, in favorable ways among Phillies fans, um, and and I you know rightfully so. Like that perception has changed. I think just based on what he did uh, in October last year. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's hard not to see it that way. You know, he he did falter in the World Series and a little bit in the LCS. Uh, it was it was late in the year at that point for him. It's unfortunate, but you know it does happen. But this is a guy who's he's basically a unicorn. There are there really aren't many any pitchers these days. There are a couple. They are they are few and far between who can log the kind of innings that this guy logs. It's yeah. it's really unique. He, he takes the ball every day. You know. He's been a lock to make 30 starts when there's been 30 starts to make in a full season. He just he just had an 
a strikeout to walk ratio over eight last year. That's Cliff Lee stuff. Like this is a guy who, if the Phillies lose him in free agency, whoever signs him, regardless of what money he gets, whatever the years are, five, six, maybe seven years. I, I don't know. I mean, he'll be he'll be thirty and a half roughly when he hits free agency. Maybe you worry a little bit about the tread on the tires. I guess you worry about that with with any pitcher these days. There's still not a huge crop of options, croptions that you can that you can look at to replace what Aaron Nola gives you. Even before he put together last year, his 2022, where he he bounced back from a bad ERA, even though that was you know a lot of that was to do with the defense. Even before he put up last year, there was value in him throwing the amount of innings that he did. Because that is so important these huge, days. Huge, huge amount of value. Yeah, to be able to have the guys who can actually get those outs. This is why there's been, I think, and it's still a bit of a groundswell, but it's it's getting more and more fully widespread attention. The importance of like raw innings totals yes. from starting pitchers. It's, it's coming back. It's it's swaying back to this. Yeah. You know, we, we see that with, I guess it's a bit of a gripe and, and maybe a well-deserved one at this point, with Zach Wheeler losing out in the Cy Young Award where the difference in innings pitched was probably undersold. If you look at like every inning is three outs. And if you start looking at these differences and start putting it in terms of outs that you get, 205 innings is 615 outs from one guy. You know, you can put that in, in the, you know, you can contextualize that among a full season and start to think like, wow, one player on this roster really covered a lot of ground with getting there because you need those 27 outs to win. And if you're getting 20, 21 or more outs per start from a guy who always makes his starts. It just makes everyone else better. Yeah, it's a huge help. Anyway, uh, Aaron Ola probably deserves his own episode if and when the Phillies do resign him. And I do hope they do. But I'm I'm really happy to see. So many people align with that thought that Aaron Nola is that important to this team, is worth re-signing, is worth making the effort to, you know, potentially pay a little bit more. I don't know what that contract looks like. I haven't delved into the comps all that much right now. Uh, but you look at the money that some of these guys are getting. Hell, even look at Taiwan Walker and what he got with four years and 70-some million dollars to be a mid-rotation guy who also is pretty durable, but doesn't really yeah. have the performance to to match up with Nola. And it's it's obvious to me, it still seems worth it. The the, the next two questions, which I thought I, I ran, I ran one back about Alec Boehm, same question, you know, like mm-hmm. what's your level of confidence in him being a long-term answer at third base? And, you know, there were a lot more people who were uh, bullish on Boehm's future, but still, skeptical I think is is the best way to put it and that's and that's fair I mean I think people when you say long-term answer at third base I think people focus on the third base part um especially with Hoskins being a free agent after the season I mean it's clear that like you know Bohm might move over to the other side of the diamond at some point after 2023 so to say that he's mm-hmm. a long-term answer at third base I think that's why people are 51 percent of people were unsure yeah um which is which is better than it was a year ago. I mean, there was a majority last year uh, were not confident in him staying at third base. And, you know, Bohm made huge strides there, obviously, last year in, in terms of confidence and 
um, both in his defensive and offensive game, I think, especially the way he had fastballs. There's a lot of room to grow there, though. But, but, you know, the, the history is against him. I mean, guys, his size do not stick at third base. So I think, I think the, I think the response here was reasonable. And then the other one, which really surprised me was, you know, what is your level of confidence in Nick Castellanos bouncing back in 2023? And, you know, more than a third of people were confident that he would. And, uh, interesting to me because, you know, he, he had a, a career worst season last year. So you're saying, okay, well, Based upon that, you know, he, he's got to be at least a little better unless, you know, he's just totally falling off a cliff here. And I I, I will, I'll, I'll hint at this, like I have something coming up where I'm just going to, I do this before every spring and people have read me for a while and it's like, I just try to go over every guy in camp and just like pull out one interesting tidbit or observation or thought about every single player in camp. It's too many words. I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, you really, you look at Castellanos's underlying metrics near the end of the season. And I'm talking about August, September and into the playoffs. And I know he didn't play very much uh, in September. So the numbers might be skewed, but you know, I filtered out to try to get, you know, a decent sample size of, 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 to compare him to other hitters over that same time period. And his average exit velocity numbers were really bad. I mean, Mm. really, really bad. And you just, have to really wonder about the quality of contact that he was making. It wasn't, I think what people think about Castellanos, they focus on him, you know, being able to, to un, unable to lay off, you know, the slider down in a way yeah. and, and his, and his, his chasing, you know, bad pitches was certainly a, a big story about his season last year. But I think the quality of his contact um, is an even bigger thing to focus on. Uh, it wasn't good. And, it, and, and as we've come to understand, you know, hard hit rate is a really good indicator of um, a player, how a player is trending and his is trending downward big time. That is a problem. It is, it is certainly a problem. You know, even when he had, even when he had that hot streak just before he went on the shelf with, with his injury, you know, in late August going into September. That, yeah. He, and that, that he had, my analysis, right. Includes that time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he had something like a, it was a hit streak that might've hit the teens. Um, you know, he hit about three forty over the stretch or something like that. It looked pretty good, but then you look at it and it's like in his yeah. 70 or so plate appearances, he had no walks and struck out 19 times. So then you're thinking, well, Hmm, what is and that? The quality mean? of contact wasn't good. It was a lot uh-huh. of singles. Yeah. It it's, it, he got there in a way that is not sustainable. It's a term we like to say the underlying things that you look at when you, when you look at some of these streaks to try and figure out if it's real, something I'd really like to try and dig into to feel like, okay, how much should I actually believe in what I'm seeing? We're not great. A lot of it, a lot of what the prospect industry is looking at these days and focusing on really heavily, they always have, but I think there's a little more emphasis on it right now is uh, swing decisions. Basically it comes down to, is a guy swinging at pitches he should be swinging at, namely things like fastballs in the zone or, or uh, quote unquote, hung breaking balls, things that you would expect a, a successful hitter to identify and attack, as well as staying off the pitches that should not be swung at. And you 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 mentioned Alec Bohm briefly from last year and how he was 
frequently chasing, you know, fastballs up that he couldn't really do a whole lot of damage with. And then there were ones in the zone that maybe he was anticipating being a little bit higher up and, and would miss on. And his whole thing was thrown off because some of those swing decisions played into his approach at the plate. That was part of it. That changed, that improved in 2022. He looked better. With Castellanos, those underlying things that we're talking about are not really supporting a bounce back right now. What is supporting a bounce back and what I believe in and why I think I am somewhat confident in him bouncing back. For one, the baseline is a little bit lower. He doesn't have a high bar to clear, but he also has a track record of, of being much better than he was as early as 2021. I don't know what needs to click in order for him to get back to that level a little bit. You know, the, the, the velo drops and the hard hit rates, like those drops are, are concerning. There, there are a lot of things playing into that, that I think swing decisions really factored into heavily. You know, everybody could see the, the sliders low and away. The fact that he was wasting so many strikes, like putting so many strikes into onto his count that way really was not helping. Um, if he's able to make some adjustment there, plus something else, whatever it might be, whether it's mechanical, whether it's it's um, attack zone, something needs to change. I put faith in Kevin Long to work on him with it um, and to, to be better than he was. But you're right. I, I mean, it would not be surprising if he continues to falter. Not totally yeah, surprising. And- and and look like it's clear that there were uh you know circumstances that you know might you know that are going to change in 2023 like he he has admitted and admitted in the playoffs to um not feeling comfortable with his new surroundings you know thinking about other things they had a and his wife had a had a baby you know early in the season like you know, I, I, there are circumstances that will be different. Like he might feel more comfortable. He might um, have a better feel for the market and, and, and the expectations and his coaches and his teammates and that all that very clearly matters a lot to Nick Castellanos. So maybe those are things that can extenuating circumstances that, you know, can over, can make you get to that point where like he can overcome some of these trends. He's, you know, he doesn't, he's only, he's turns 31 in March. Like he's not, you know, there still should be some prime years of production left here, at least a few. Yeah. So yeah, I can see why people got there. I can also see the trends that are like, Ooh, I don't know. There's no easy way to segue into this, but the next question talks about Reese Hoskins. Uh, he like Nola at the moment is slated to be a free agent after this year. And unlike Nola, there isn't a whole lot that's unicorny about Reese right now. He's a good player. I've stumped for him and will continue to stump for him. Uh, but there are more extenuating circumstances that make Hoskins' future a little cloudier than Nola's. Feeling a little less optimistic about where he fits in this roster, especially as it adds folks who may see their range diminish <laughs> as they get a little bit older. Take your pick of who we mean there. And I think the the answers to your question about will the Phillies re-sign Reese Hoskins in free agency, and I think the phrasing is important there, um, and you call that out, will they re-sign Reese Hoskins? A little more than two-thirds of people said no, 68%. I wrote this the day they signed Nick Castellanos, and like I still believe it. Uh, you know, I, I, I think the day they signed... I'm sorry, the day they signed Castellanos, what did I say? I don't even know what I'm saying. The day they signed Nick Castellanos, I wrote this and I still believe that that was the day that Reese Hoskins was going to become a free agent. Like it mm-hmm. just, they're just, 
and and it's not a knock on Reese. Like I think Reese is gonna is gonna end up getting a really nice deal, and I sure. think he's gonna have a, a productive career well into his thirties. I just don't think it's gonna be in Philadelphia because they have sort of boxed themselves in with the players they've signed. Yes, Schwarber and Castellanos, Bohm obviously is you know there's questions about him at third base. You know Harper, you know the way these guys, you know how are they gonna age? Where are they gonna play? Um, there's only one DH. Real Muto, you can throw him in there. I mean, I do think that there's yeah. a time where JT gets a little more first base time just to keep his bat on the field. And I don't think that's this year or even in 2024, but I, I don't think it's too far away. Um, and JT likes playing first base for what it's worth. Uh, okay, that's cool. But a lot of his value obviously is contained, you know, in, in, in his work behind the plate. That's sort of last resort kind of thing you know, more right. time at first base, but nevertheless, like that, that day might come where they he needs to get more time at first base to keep him in the lineup. So all these things combined, like, I, I don't know. I don't know when Bryce Harper is going to move off right field, but it might be sooner rather than later, especially after having Tommy John surgery. Like that adds another variable to this equation. You know, how many more years does Bryce Harper have in right field? I, I don't know. I, it's probably less than we think. It's not nine. It's not nine. It's not it's definitely nine. not nine. No. And, and, and I noted this and like, like, look at what, look at what the free agent first baseman got this offseason, like Josh Bell and Anthony Rizzo. And I think Hoskins is probably better than those guys. I, I think like I'm right now. Reese yeah, over there's there. an argument. Yeah. I mean, uh, prime Anthony Rizzo is, is better, but it, it, this isn't prime Anthony Rizzo anymore. No. And so like Reese is going to do all right in free agency as he should. And, you know, is it a shame that it might not be with the Phillies in Philadelphia? Yeah, I think so. It is. I'm really happy, though, that he got, and I, and obviously Phillies fans are hoping he gets more moments, you know, in 2023, but he got, yes. you know, his moment, capital M, uh, you know, in, in the 2022 playoffs. So, I, you know, look, there's a lot of time between now and free agency, and who knows what the hell is going to happen this year, but... Uh, I tend to agree. Like, I mean, I have a hard time seeing him coming back uh, on on a new contract with the Phillies. And um, it's less about Reese and more about, I think, the roster construction. Okay, so that's a little bit of a dour note for bittersweet reasons. But then we can talk about we can talk about hype and let's get excited because one of the later questions here in the survey that you also mirrored in 2022. And that's a fun, uh, that's a fun little difference to, to check out here, which Phillies prospect makes you the most excited. It may surprise <laughs> you to learn that Andrew Painter received 92% of the vote. Uh, I'm uh, frankly, what's interesting is that a year ago with this, yeah, uh-huh. you know, stop price and stop got the most, you know, the most votes. And that was a, a, a smart poll by mm-hmm. Phillies fans who follow the system. But Abel pulled, you know, way better than oh, Painter yeah. uh, this time last year. And and that's understandable, too. I mean, uh, it's funny. I mean, like, I don't know. I, I hear about people who get upset about Abel kind of getting knocked down here. I mean, like, he would be the the, the best pitching prospect in a lot of uh, farm systems. It just so happens that he, he's behind Andrew Painter in the Philly system. Yeah, you know, I mean, part of that is... Painter only got part of a season of a look, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of pro ball data on him at last year. Like it's just, it, it, there are circumstances that play into results like this. It, it's not a knock on ability for sure. Um, Stott obviously has graduated and I think that has, that's pretty much paid off. You know, we were, I was just talking about, you know, what does it take to be a capable major league player? And Stott looks like a capable major league player, even if we're only talking about defense, even if his offense doesn't improve at all, 
this is a guy who's a capable major league player and it stands to reason that his offense will improve. So there you go. But now you look at painter. I'm honestly a little bit surprised. He didn't get a higher share of the vote. I know that's ridiculous <laughs> to say about a 92% response. No, um, you're not wrong. No, but yeah. Like it, it, it comes back to what we were saying too, about the depth of the system. And that's why the Phillies, you know, overall farm rankings, if you're looking at, you know, different sites, publications, folks who put these things out, they're not polling very highly there, despite having some of these higher end top level guys. You know, Andrew Painter is a marquee prospect to be a top 10 or 15 guy across the entire league is to be something potentially very special. Once you get past Painter, Abel, McGarry, who are, you know, nearly the consensus top three prospects in this system, depending on who you ask. Uh, then you kind of get into stretches. You get into things that are higher risk, you know, things that are not very high floor, as the industry likes to say. Um, it's nice to see, you know, how you lead Justin Crawford and Johan Rojas and, and Griff McGarry to round that out, pull specific answers to pull specific excitement. And I think there are reasons to have a little bit of faith and excitement in all four of those guys for different reasons. Lee seems like he's just going to be a hitter. He's just going to make contact. And then you need to figure out, you know, is he going to be a good enough second baseman or where are they going to put him? Is he going to develop into enough power? Justin Crawford, feel good about the athleticism, feel good about the bloodlines. Didn't have the best pro debut, but it's early long, in his career. Yeah, he's still long ready. time. Yeah, yeah. Long time. Uh, Johan Rojas, even if his hitting doesn't fully come around, is showing that he could be an absolutely premier defender in center field with incredible speed. There is usually a place on a major league team for somebody like that. Do we have to do a Johan Rojas pod where we invite on, you know, the, the peop, his various champions and, and detractors? Because <laughs> he is a very polarizing. He is prospect. polarizing. He actually, yeah. I know, and, and Kylie McDa- uh, McDaniel's uh, ESPN top 100, Rojas didn't make it, but he had him on there as an honorable mention. And I was mm-hmm. stunned by that. I was floored by that. And that's he, not to he, knock yeah. down Johan Rojas. I just don't think he's. I, I, I'm probably more of a detractor on him now than, any, than anything. Although I do think the rule changes uh, in the sport. Um, mm-hmm. you know, could benefit a guy like him. And then pulling up the rear, at least in terms of guys who were called out by name, was Griff McGarry, who seemed like he only maybe got single digits worth of votes. It was one-tenth of a percentage point. Um, that, I think, undersells his ability a little bit. You know, yeah, this is a guy... That. Yeah, yeah, this is a guy who, depending on who you ask, may come in ahead of Abel. Um, seems like he could fill either role in 2023, whether starter or reliever has the stuff to stick. He does come in a little bit older as a college draftee, so he has that bit of a leg up in, in getting to the, the bigs potentially quicker. Well, not quicker than Painter anyway. Uh, but this is a guy who a lot of people are high on, a lot of prospect folks really like. And to see him come in below, you know, Lee Crawford and Rojas, and, and significantly so, I think that stood out to me. I think that was a little surprising. McGarry, may, maybe that sets him up to be a bit of a pleasant surprise, I guess. I don't know. A lot of people know about him. Just to see him... Just to see him where he is in this list was was surprising. And I was curious to see, do you happen to have the answers because other got ha- uh, half a percentage point? Do you have any of those other answers people submitted who weren't on that list of six explicitly by name? A bunch of them were some wise cracks, some Scott ah. Kingery mentions. Oh, that's um, funny. One of them, I think, I believe was... Uh, uh, Delco's own uh, Jim Haley, who signed a minor league contract with the Phillies uh, this <laughs> offseason. 
And uh, I mean, it's really right. cool. He's Delco kid who's going to be in camp with the. He's going to come to big league camp. Actually, yeah. he was in the. Ra- I think he was in the Rays system. He's from Lansdowne. Uh, oh, cool! It's really cool. Doesn't I don't remember. I have them, but I don't have them in front of me. I don't remember the other uh, write-ins. Okay. Some of them were probably like none. I don't know. People like to make so there's some jokesters when we fill these out. But always um, So then I want to, but I want to skip down to the. I thought this was my favorite. This was my favorite res, uh, response of the entire poll. Okay. Was the question: Who do you want to see next honored in the Phillies Wall of Fame? And uh, literally, Chase Utley got one more vote than Jimmy Rollins in a survey. That's how <laughs> close, you know, those two guys are and and how close closely they poll among Phillies fans. And I just laughed. I couldn't believe it. One more vote uh, out of almost 2,500 responses. So um, the Wall of Fame, like, I, I'd rather spend, like, not a ton of time on it because I, I, I do think it's kind of silly how they've watered it down. Like, it's... Um, they they they've decided they need to induct you know a a person every year. That's not necessarily the way they did it before, but they are doing it that way now. I, I do think it's room funny. On that wall, man. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a big wall. Uh, <laughs> I do think it's funny that Scott Rowland <laughs> pulled eight point two percent in this. Uh, he he's eventually going to be on the Wall of Fame. Like I, I don't know if it'll be this year. I mean, he just got elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame, and I mean, he's never been honored by the Phillies. He's never been back. He did come back in this. He came to Clearwater before spring game. I don't remember what years and within the last few years, uh, but he's, he's never returned to Philadelphia. He's never been honored at the ballpark. And now he's in the hall of fame and he played more years with the Phillies than he did any other team. And, you know, I obviously know the complicated history with Roland in Philadelphia, but yeah. uh, I don't know. I mean, like he should be the next guy on the wall of fame, right? You'd think just going off of what the qualifications are, you know, he's there. He's in the Hall of Fame. He got elected. And think of that what you will. As a big Hall guy, I'm fine with it. I I feel like Roland, maybe if he's on the lower end of Hall of Fame caliber, that it makes sense because he was an extremely good defender. And he had a couple of, well, more than a couple, a few really, really good offensive years. This guy was an awesome player. I like we we see it through slightly different colored glasses, some of us, because the way things ended, the fact that he was traded for Bud Smith, but the Bud Smith, <laughs> you know, you, you, you look at, you look at what Roland's done and you know, you, you called it out. He spent more time with the Phillies than, you know, any other didn't play more playoff games, things like that, blah, 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 of course. But he came up with the Phillies. It's where he got his start. It's where he burst onto the scene as a, as a premier player. Um, you would think enough time has passed for that to get smoothed over and the, the motivations for it, maybe a little bit better understood. I don't know. Yeah. I, and, and they will be, I mean, John Middleton, uh, the team's managing partner, like, a, you know, he put out a statement when Roland got inducted and said, you know, I've talked to Scott, like we're going to honor him at some point this year. And, and, and so, yeah, I, I think they're getting there, but it, as the wall of fame goes, I mean, like last year, like they inducted more guys from the 1980s. It's like, it's, it's over. Like it's over. Like it's time to move on from 1980 like it's time to get to the 2008 guys and the only one that's been uh inducted so far is pat burrell um it's just time to get to the the 08 guys and, and there were some people who were upset that i didn't have cole hamels on this i had shane victorino instead of cole hamels i guess technically hamels is still active i don't know like he's throwing mm-hmm. showcases and wants to sign and play for someone so i didn't put cole on here obviously cole will be on the wall at some point sure. um Somebody mentioned Chris Wheeler. That I like that. I like that idea. Chris Wheeler oh, that's cool. Yeah, I like that. 
I like and that. Dan Baker too. Actually, the most of the other write-ins were Dan Baker, and the Phillies honored Dan last year on Alumni Weekend, not as a Wall of Fame inductee, but just honored him for you know all the years um, spent behind the mic at the ballpark. But I think that's fair. Dan Baker should be on the wall too, right? He as he is as intrinsic to the experience of being at one of those games for me as as anything else. Yeah. Truly. Like that that's the voice here. I can I remember going to games at the vet and hearing Dan Baker's voice booming out, echoing across all the <laughs> exposed cement in the levels of that place. You know, it's it, it is to me something that is part of the a person who is part of the franchise, who is who is inextricable from your idea of what the Philadelphia Phillies baseball viewing experience, BVE for short, is all about. This, yeah. the, what, what do you, what do you look? The, <laughs> when Dan Baker has to step away, whenever that might be, it is going to be weird. Maybe for younger fans who are a little less used to him, you know, this is an advantage. You can come into this not really having that ingrained in you and be able to transition into the, whoever's next up a little bit easier. I am envious of you if that is you. When Dan Baker has to fully step away, it's, it's going to be sad. I'm going to miss hearing his voice. And they're not going to be able to, you know, just have him record players' names, you know. Oh, don't like, do that. The, the, the Bob yeah, Shepard yeah, uh, Bob was Shepherd really thing. weird where they had, like, you know, the animatronic Bob Shepard. Yeah, yeah like, that's <laughs> no, just, that's, no, that was weird. That was too that's weird. not really a thing. No. Um, so, it, you know, when he eventually has to step away, it, it'll be sad. So, I, yes, I, I would put Dan Baker up there. I don't know if Richie Ashburn probably doesn't count for this. I don't, they don't, do they have any other broadcasters up there? I don't think they do. Oh, I don't know. Anyway, no, I mean, Whitey's up there. Yeah, for right as a player. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Huh. I don't. I don't know. Like that's. It. I don't know. I, I, we can look that up while we talk. But I mean, I guess ha- is Harry on the wall thing? Like, I, like he has a statue. I mean, I don't know. Like, you, I don't know. It's a uh, it's a fair question. While you're looking that up, and and you can you can reinterject with the answer to this because I, I think pick one or two up. more to go down on this. Yeah, list, yeah, yeah. I want, I actually, I want to talk about. Um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I I, I want to get I want to get to the big one, and that's that's the win total. Yeah. Um, yes. Because yeah. I I this is yeah this is excitement put into number form. So the Phillies, as you may remember, won 87 games last year. They are coming into this with some different players and different roles, significant roles, you know, swapping out Zach Eflin for Tywin Walker and not having Bryce Hopper for half the year, adding Trey Turner at shortstop, shifting Bryce and Stott over for full season, blah, 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 on and on. You know all of that. You've been paying attention. But what does that all mean in terms of final win total? What do you think? Well, everybody weighed in. And a lot of people think this team is going to crack into the win totals that start with a nine. In fact, let's see, what is this? About 77% of people say that this team will win 90 plus games with almost 8% saying more than 95. It would be a nine win jump over last year. 70% are roughly in that 90 to 95 range, which, you know, again, very good. I think that's where I answer too. I think this is a 90 win team. Um, Further still, you get a little bit on down. You have another uh, quarter of people roughly who think, 85 to 90 wins. Basically, everybody thinks this team is going to be over 500, as well they should. The team on paper is certainly a 500 team. And then 0.1% of people who think less than 80 wins, which, again, show yourselves. But I think the fact that so many people think that this team is going to win 90 games, like, it's not an impossible thing to reach. 
It's just they haven't done it in so long. And you wonder if the team is really significantly better than last year because it was already pretty good. But is it so much better that we get those extra three or four wins, which are harder to come by from year to year than you may think? Um, I think they just barely squeak in, but people are apparently a lot more confident than that. Largely. The projection systems don't love them. They never do. I think the defense plays a big part of that. Uh, that makes sense. By the way, Harry is in the wall of fame. Um, okay, good. 2009. I guess they did it, you know, later in the year uh, after he died, yeah, a couple months yeah. after he died. I, I'm not a big wall of fame, you know, like, uh, no, I don't take that atten- much attention. Yeah. Scholar, yes. But yeah, <laughs> yeah me, immediately. So I apologize for, for shorting that. Anyone who's really follows the wall of fame. Anyway, yeah, what does Pakoda have right now? 87. I don't know. Is this for next year? This is for last year. No, I don't know. Zips has him as like a 526 win percentage, which has him dropping off wins, you know, like more like an 85 win team. But yeah, that makes sense. Defense dings them in the projection systems. I, yes. I, I, that, I see that. I can see well, that. Well, okay. because I mean, pr- projection systems are about baseline outcome. Yeah. They, they are not like, I think the misconception about a lot of projection systems and what's actually published from those projection systems is that they are saying, this is what will happen. This is what is like 90% likely to happen from this player and this group of players, thereby making a team that will produce this win total. That is not the case. Things vary from system to system, but usually what you're looking at is a best guess for about the midline of what somebody is, is expected to do and thereby what the team is expected to do. So it's less 90% this is what you're going to see and more like there's a 50-50 shot this is what you get and things could happen on either side of it, if that makes sense to you. It yeah. is not trying to be like absolute or even really fully very confident that, yes, this is what will happen. Rather, it gives you the middle bullseye of the dartboard, and there are a lot of things that could happen in the circles around it. Yeah. And so do they get to 90? I, I don't know. I mean, like it's a tough division. Like the, the schedule should help them more. The balanced schedule, the balanced schedule where it's going to help, it might not be in the win total, but it's going to be in the odds of three NL East teams being in the 16 field again. That makes sense. Like that's where the balance, that's where the balanced schedule helps out a lot because now you've got more, you've got more looks at the AL central, the NL, you know, I'm sorry. You've got more looks at the AL Central, the AL West, some of the, the dregs of the AL West. Um, yes, you're going to get uh, fewer games against Washington, which uh, you know was was really good at the Phillies last year. They're 16 and three against the Nationals last year. They get only 13 games against the Nationals Man. this year, but yeah, it, it's going to help them. They're going to see they're going to see more bad teams than they would have last year. Mm-hmm. And and honestly, Paul, like you look at the National League, like who who is reasonable to get into the 16 field? Like, do we think how many teams do we think are legitimately contending for a postseason spot in the national league this year? Oh, uh, it's well, it's not as it's many not as a it lot. should be. It's yeah. not a lot. I mean, the Braves, Mets and Phillies, there's three uh-huh. Cardinals, Cardinals, Brewers. Brewers. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think the Brewers are still in the mix. Padres, Dodgers, Giants, 
Okay, so that's yeah. eight. And then the depending on how you feel about are, Arizona, yeah, yeah are, are could be sneaky good. They're going to be young, uh, exciting. Yep, uh, yep. I, I'm I'm interested in Arizona. I think they're a really interesting team this year. That's yes. nine. Okay, mm-hmm. ten if you want to include the Cubs. I'm not sure I want to. Uh, just no pitching. So nine teams essentially, maybe even eight teams for six spots. Yep. Going into the season before they've even played a game. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, the odds are good if you look at it that way. Um, Phillies being one of one of eight teams for six spots, you, you got to like your odds there, and you have to you have to figure that they're better, you know, certainly on paper than Milwaukee at least. Again, um, I mean, if, if things can change, obviously, blah blah blah. We could talk about production systems, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. But you're right; it's not going to take a ton of wins. They don't need to get to 95 wins, most likely. To make the playoffs, you know, an expanded field helps that it lowers the bar a little bit. They made it in with 87. They could make it in with 87 again. Yeah, um, I, I think you think totally they get reasonable. to 90. Do you think they get to 90? I do. Yeah, I yeah. I, th- I think they'll barely squeak in there. 90, maybe 91. You yeah. know, I losing Harper for a significant chunk of the season again. I, I don't know that they're going to pick up the slack for him as well as they did last year. Just because, again, that's one of those things you can't necessarily count on. Unless you have, you know, a, a semi star as your as your backup as your replacement option, that's not really the case. Oh, and a really... Turner, they did, but no, you're I you're still yeah, you're still like subtracting Harper from the lineup, and there are concerns about you know rotation depth, and blah blah blah. Like every team has these worries. I just think it's really hard to win ninety five games. Um, so ninety ninety one makes sense. To really me. hard. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense to me. You know, you you brought up a good point just for a little bit of attention here about the schedule. The Phillies will probably play some weaker teams. You know, there are a lot of teams that are not seriously contending and may not put up too much of a fight, at least competitively. Um, it's going to be really great. And and the, to bring Jason Stark back into the mix here, he he made this point. Yeah, read Jason's story today. today. Yeah, yeah, about how the schedule changes will really kind of affect the landscape of of this league and and the visibility of certain teams, you know, for a long time, I'm certainly guilty of this because I can't stay up until, you know, two in the morning every night <laughs> to watch all the West coast games. I, I used two, to have let to alone 10. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like I, it, my it, off season it, schedule. I don't know. Like it's going right. to take a while for me to get back on the, the regular season schedule. I'm going to bed like before 10 some nights and that's exactly. a really terrible thing to admit. I'm 30, going to be 36 years old and I feel like I'm 56. No, nah, man. Like, Kids, you know, the you know, the kids, um, but like <laughs> it, it was great when it was my job to be up that late and, and watching these games. Again, if you can afford to do something like that where you watch baseball and get paid to do it in your 20s, do it. Um, now I cannot do that. But what's going to change is that a lot of these star players, especially on the West Coast, but in other time zones as well, you can even call out Arizona for this because Arizona is going to be interesting. It doesn't happen every year, like the teams will play every other team, but the home and homes will be a little different. But at the very least, on on a shrunk down time frame, instead of a rotating uh, rotating basis, division by division every three years, they're going to flop it every other year, where you get the chance to see a Julio Rodriguez, a Shohei Otani, a Mike Trout, uh, over in Arizona, maybe somebody like a Corbin Carroll, um, to actually come out east yeah. And even if you don't get out to the stadium, actually see them in your time zone, play your team. It's a great point that Jason made that even if only for a series year over year, starting now, you're going to have the chance to see more players 
from a farther reach of the league than you would have previously. And that can only benefit, I think, at least conceptually, it makes sense to me, it can only benefit the casual fan experience of getting to see more of these stars, especially the ones who play in time zones that are just not conducive for staying up on the East Coast. Totally. Totally. And and th- there is a part of me that is like sort of upset that there will never be a World Series again that wasn't a regular season matchup. And maybe that's that's just hmm. such an archaic way of thinking. And and, and I know it is. I, I'm I'm fully aware of that. There was just something about the allure of like two teams matching up that you wouldn't ever see play during a regular season, but that's gone. It's out the window and I get it. I look at the you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a big time Sixers fan and um you know, I love that they that every team comes in to Philly at least once and, and you get to see the stars and the big players from out West. And those are almost sometimes even better, like, you know, more interesting matchups to watch. Like you're waiting to watch those matchups. Like when the nuggets and Jokic come into Philly and, and, and that's great. Like that's a lot of fun. And so we will see, you know, they won't come to Philly every year, like Otani and trout necessarily won't come to Philly every year, but the Phillies will play them at least once a year. And then every other year, you know, they're coming to Philly. Um, so I think it's good. Uh, I think, you know, less, less of the division opponents. Like I'm going to kind of miss that, I think at first, but I, I, I don't know. I don't, I think that'll, that feeling will go away pretty fast. Yeah. yeah. I mean, fewer Mets games is just better for my mental health. At well, least. fewer Mets games I mean, is a shame. Cause like, I, I wish they, I mean, kind of wish the I, Mets and Phillies were going to yeah. play 19 times this year because damn, yeah. those games are going to be awesome. Like those are going to be awesome games that, that, yeah, for this year, maybe we're missing out on a little bit, but oh my God, I, I go gray faster <laughs> watching those games than I do anything else. Um, but speaking of World Series matchups, I think it's it's only fitting we end on this particular question that has some people raising their eyebrows maybe a little bit just because it's it, it's harder to do this than just make the playoffs. Will the Phillies return to the World Series in the next two seasons? So that is 2023 or and or <laughs> 2024. And more than three quarters of people said Yes. Um, People are stoked. The, I mean, look, the, <laughs> if you ask this question, will the Phillies get to the World Series at all in the next two years? If you had asked that in the pre-2022 survey, <laughs> what do you think that number would have looked like? Five <laughs> percent. probably not great. Yeah. Uh, and now we're like, will they get there within the next two? Yes. 75.5% of people say, yeah, that is, there may very be no, there may be no question on here, no other question on this whole survey that encapsulates how different the feeling is around this team in a positive way in this fan base than that question right there. Look, the Phillies upset a lot of teams making it to the playoffs, both in terms of matchup and in terms of people who are griping about them being the last one in and beating some other team, but whatever, you can keep it. It's hard to make the World Series. <laughs> it, it it is, and especially in short series, like the better team does not always win. Uh the fact that we're still like, no, nah, I don't care. This team's gonna get back, man. They're doing it. They're getting back there. We're gonna get another shot at claiming a title. Well, I mean, if they're the gonna get season. back, like it would, you know, with this group, with this roster, I mean, the odds are better that it happens in the next two years than you know any other time. I mean, like you have stars that are in their prime, and 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 and. Um, you have you have a pretty set roster for you know essentially the next two years. I mean, Nolan Hoskins are the exceptions to that, but everyone else is you know essentially uh, 
under contract or under team control through 2025. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Wheeler comes up after 2024. So you have Nolan Wheeler, you know, for at least uh, one and then maybe two in the next two years. So I get it. I get the thinking behind it, but that's a big number. And it's going to be really hard for them to get back to the World Series. But nevertheless, regardless of circumstances, regardless of potential obstacles, the vibes are good. <laughs> uh, the vibes are ecstatic. They are exceptional. Um, if you're listening to this, I'm not sure why you wouldn't already be a subscriber to The Athletic. But links to both this year's survey and 2022 survey, if you're curious to compare and contrast, will be in the description for this episode. You should absolutely take the time to go read it. There are more questions within that piece that Matt was able to put together than we covered here. They're all worth your time. At the very least, it'll help you feel good. It'll help keep that fire going because look, the, the Eagle season one way or another ends after next weekend. Um, speaking of vibes feeling good, a lot of people feeling really good about uh, uh, their odds in that game, which can you blame them? Um, but their season is going to end after next weekend. And then we phase uh, into the start of baseball season, you know, Sixers and also the Flyers. We'll continue to play, but with the start of a new season comes the most attention, the most excitement. For me, certainly, obviously, baseball is my number one. This is what I look forward to. I like when the calendar turns to February, and I get this, uh, the pitchers and catchers reporting, blah, blah, blah. It's time. It's here. It's only a couple of weeks away. And this is how we keep the excitement rolling, because there are probably aren't going to be maybe any more moves from this team between now and the team reporting. Then we have a relatively drama-free spring with not a lot of not a lot of positional competition to be decided. You know, it's really just to get a look at some of these uh, curiosities. You know, the big pitching prospects, maybe somebody on the fringes like a like a Baker, and that's about it. It's just it's just background as we get later into March as the season wraps up. So we're just we're just keeping the fire stoked here, and it's nice to uh, nice to coast into that. Feeling good, feeling optimistic, feeling like this team really has another run in them uh, as we get set for this season. Matt? Yes. <laughs> well, you well, you know me, and you know how I was trying to ground myself maybe a little bit aggressively uh, late last year and into the playoffs, trying to be like not jinxing, even though I don't believe in these things. I still just like do it for my own my own brain. Um, I'm starting to feel that slip away a little bit and just kind of really be excited about this team. And you should be like, this is, uh, it's the best roster they've had on paper. Maybe ever. (laughs) Is that (laughs) crazy to say that? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, they probably had a better roster on paper in like 1983. I don't don't know. They had a really good team. They had a really good team in, in the late seventies too, before they got to the world series. But I don't know. I mean, like it's, it's a on paper, you know, before they get on the field and the injuries happen and the regression happens, whatever, sure. like on paper, sure. this is as good of a roster as they've ever had. I think. Love it. Don't you? I, it. I Well, sure. You know, like I, <laughs> th- there is, there is excitement at every position for different reasons, but there's something to be excited about or, or, or enthused about or looking, for, looking forward to everywhere up and down the roster. Yeah. You know, from veterans on through prospects, like it's just, it's great. And, and I think the, the survey results of everybody you captured, the, the 2,500 or so people who, who chimed in reflect that. And it's so great to be at this point of the off season of any part of any season, really, 
and feel this good about this team. Yeah, there's going to be rough spots, sure. But on whole, on the whole, on balance, I, I am I am feeling less of a compulsion to try and talk myself back from what I think this team will look like coming toward the end of the year and, and ramping up for a playoff run. And that feels good to me. That feels amazing. Um, the shackles are coming off, baby. And I'm excited <laughs> to see what this team starts looking like as, as we get as we get games televised and more stories start to uh, come out of camp. And you'll be you'll be heading down to be around the team in the middle of the month. Yep. Okay. Right when All right. right when workouts start. Right when pitchers yeah, and baby. report. It's coming. I know the Eagles are still playing, but baseball season's coming, everybody. Uh, we may not have another check-in before then. Again, we're not really expecting this team to do a whole lot between now and, and pitchers and catchers reporting. So maybe another couple of weeks before we say, hey, don't be concerned. We're still with you. Uh, keep those vibes going. Keep feeling good. And go birds, I guess. Matt, do you have anything else coming up that uh, you want to get out there before we uh, say goodbye for another couple of weeks? I have a fun one that you should see early next week at The Athletic. Hopefully it'll kind of uh, rekindle some of the feelings from October, but also uh, serve as a nice little uh, entryway into spring training. Beautiful. Look for that. Subscribe to The Athletic. Read Matt's stories. They are worth the subscription price alone. Uh, Again, we'll have links to the survey results in the description of this episode, so you can go check that out. this was great. And it's great to feel optimistic. It's great to feel positive going into a season. I'm sure that'll be tested. I love soon. it when you're happy. Yeah, man. I love it when I'm happy too. I'm sure it'll be tested at some point in April. You know, maybe they start one and four or whatever. And people are like, Oh, but yeah, one that's and four. <laughs> that's going to cause one and four is going to cause. That's all it takes. Yeah. Oh man. Wow. Look, people, people are look, we are Philly fans at our core. We might be on whole, like more optimistic, don't think for a second that a bad short stretch may be extended to 10 games. Don't don't think for a second that a little bad stretch early in the year won't make people be like, what's going on? Because you know that's going to happen. Anyway, we're not talking about that now. We're not ruining the vibes. We're not harshing anybody's buzz. The team is good. Be excited. Spring training is coming up soon. And we'll check in with you as that approaches. For Matt, I am Paul. We'll see you then.